So good morning and welcome again to New Life Horizon Church for those who are joining us on Zoom and for those who are joining us on Mixlr. welcome to New Life Horizon Church. We are experiencing great amount of joy just to see you this morning. Each week I see it as a privilege for you to join us. We are mindful that there are so many other churches you could have gone but you chose to be with us and we want to say thank you thank you for coming and being with us this morning i have the privilege of introducing our speaker pastor desmond wedderburn i met desmond through craig that spoke with us the last two weeks i met desmond through craig craig was the one who introduced me to desmond when I met Desmond, I realized that Desmond has a fire. And um, at that time, I think he had two 40-day fasting back and back. I was able to do the first one, but I couldn't keep up with the second one because he was just giving like a what? Was it a wheat break if so much? And he was kicking into the next one, like, <laughs> like kicking in. And I said, God, I couldn't, I couldn't manage it. But Desmond has a passion for God, and without getting into accolades, I just want to speak of it to the man's heart. Desmond has a passion for God. He is someone who hears and submits himself to obey, even when it seems illogical, even when it cannot be worked out in an equation, because it makes no sense. Desmond only wants to hear God and wants to confirm that it is God and he's ready to go. And so I, I literally feel like I'm going to release him. That's how I feel, uh, Desmond. You know, you just open the pen and say, go. I feel like I'm going to release Desmond this morning to speak to you and for you to hear what God has done. That mission is still possible. Thank you to Tashina. Mission is still possible because men like Desmond choose to hear and act upon what he hears. Mission is possible. And I want to show you our our um, slide this morning that mission is possible because men like Desmond hear God and act upon what they hear. Look at the look at the slide. What it says: missions possible. We're not looking at the impossibility of what we need to do to go to mission. Desmond's life and testimony this morning will show us that mission is still not only something for those who are in the Bible, but for you and I. Mission's still possible. Look at the arrow that goes to show that it is possible. And so this morning, Lord, I, just, I present your son before you, no stranger of yours. Stretch your hands towards your son, to, to our brother, our speaker this morning. And as I pray, I pray that you too will join me in praying. Not be quiet, but be praying. Praying, praying for him. Pray for him this morning that he will be the voice of God that we hear this morning. That the message and the testimony that he shared this morning will move our hearts to obey and to trust God more. That even when we cannot understand what God is doing, we can trust his heart because men like Desmond choose to say to us today that God is still the God who, who calls his people, pursues his people and sends his people. And you, like Desmond and I, are called and called and sent to go. 
So Father, this morning I ask that you just pour down on your son in a, in a way like never before. Cause his testimony that may seem small to him be magnified in the eyes and in the ears of those who listen so that we will recognize that God, you still call and you still equip and you still send men, ordinary men, ordinary women. And so Father, as your son speaks today, give us wisdom. As your son speaks today, give us hearts that are tender to your voice. As your son speaks today, Lord, give us that willing heart to go as you call us to go. In Jesus' name, amen. So go, go Desmond, I release you onto the NLH platform. <laughs> amen. In Jesus amen. Name. Amen. amen. Well, I'm just so excited just uh, to be here. Um, thank you, Pastor Ava and uh, Sister Ruth and, uh, and the other sisters that I saw doing worship. What an amazing an awesome time to be alive. I think any time that you're alive, it's a great time. And, um, you know, for the fact that God has created us for a purpose and that purpose is not limited by our thinking. That purpose is not limited by um, our worldview. Um, and it's pretty much unlimited. And it's really rest upon how God will uh, continue to move us. Um, a few years ago, God gave me a saying, um, he said, believe me for the impossible and watch me do the incredible. And I've never really forgotten, leading up to that phrase that God gave me a few years ago, I've always just believed it. Um, I've always believed the impossibility of God because we serve, we serve our creator and, um, and there is nothing that he cannot do. And so... If that is the fact that he is unlimited in everything and he created us for his glory, then we only have one assignment and that's to do whatever he wants us to do and not be bound by our mindset or um, people's um, opinions and those things, you know? I didn't know that I was gonna be a minister. Um, didn't really know that I was gonna be doing the work that I'm doing. Um, 22 years ago, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I was a regular guy just hanging out in the hood, in the streets, um, you know, having a regular job. And the last job I had at the time before I gave my life to Jesus, I was a correctional officer. I used to work for the prison. And, um, and a friend of mine, um, one of my best friends, he lived in, in the Virgin Islands, an island called St. Croix. And uh, he had a business there that was going down. And so I basically gave him a, um, a lot of my money um, so that the business would keep going. And I said, well, who do you have helping you running the business? And he said, really nobody. And so I basically left New York and I went overseas for to be an entrepreneur, to be a businessman. And I said, this is going to be it. Well, when I went over there, it wasn't all right for a few months. But after a few months, I, I clearly realized that something is not right. I used to go to bed at night and I used to see, I used to have these terrible nightmares, these demonic nightmares. And when I would wake up, the things that were in my nightmare were outside of my dream. And I mean, it was, it, it was really crazy. And I thought I was being schizophrenic. I thought I was being um, delusional. A lot of times when I would blink, they would not go away. 
And so I was tormented for months while running a business. I would go home at night and I would see demons in my house and I didn't know how to get rid of them. And that really started my journey of knowing who Jesus is. I would try to smoke so much marijuana. I would try to drink so much. Um, but none of that was helping. And then I met a girl, a young lady that was working in a bank um, that she'd come into, she would come into my store. And um, I used to ask anybody about these nightmares. And she said that, yeah, I used to be attacked by demons at nighttime as well. And I went and got baptized and they stopped bothering me. And I was like, man, I don't want to really go to a church. I want to be real about it. Then I just kept asking questions. And then this one guy came into my store one day and, uh, you know, some people just look spiritual. Well, I, I, I reached out to him. And at first I thought that he was a Rasta because in Jamaica, we, the certain religion grow their locks. Um, I mean, it's fashionable. A lot of people do it, but in Jamaica it's for religious purposes, you know? And so I spoke to him and I said, I told him the same thing about the nightmares I was having and how I was being tormented every single night. And he said that he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And ever since then, um, the demons stopped bothering him, well, tormenting him. And that's the first time I really heard the gospel being presented to me. I'm sure that it was presented to me before, but that's the first time um, that I really heard the gospel presented to me. And when I heard that, it got me to thinking, Jesus Christ. Okay, I'm going to try him. And so I tried other religions. I tried Egyptology. I tried Islam. I tried different things. I even tried, in Jamaica, we have the Rastafarian religion and their goddess, Selassie. Selassie. Haley Selassie. So I tried to reach out to him. Didn't hear back from him either. <laughs> and so there was a gift shop next to my store. And I went in and I bought I bought a Bible. I figure I'll buy the whitest looking Bible with the gold trimmings on it. That's going to do the trick, you know? And so I went home and I called up a, 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 my mother or my aunt. And they told me, just read Psalms 23 and leave the Bible open on the bed and you'd be great. Well, that didn't work because it was only words in a, in a book, but it wasn't in my heart. And as I began to um, um, recite, and that one particular night, I felt a demon walk right into the room. And I hope this is not too far-fetched for anyone or very scary for anyone, but I'm just sharing my testimony as I'm going along. And as, I, as, as, as the demonic figure came into the room, I opened the Bible and I said, yeah, this is going to do it. And I'm, gonna, I'm not going to kid you. I stuck up my middle finger, you know, and... As a, as a jester, you know, a bad word jester. And literally that demon put my hand in the fist and put it down on my chest and began to wrestle me all night. I was tormented. And then I found that I was possessed by demons or oppressed for, you know, for some people. Um, not really sure where the line was, but I know that I was being tormented day and night, night and day, kind of like the guy that was in the tombs. And I didn't know what to do. And so I started reading the Bible. I read the Bible in about three and a half weeks um, from Genesis all the way through um, Malachi. And as I was reading the word, 
I kept seeing the, the different names of God, El Shaddai, um, you know, Yahweh. I keep seeing different names of God. I had awareness of what was going on, but I had no deliverance. And one night when I was in my bed and I've been tormented now for about a few months, I was so just used to it being tormented and um, going to work out of my mind, not knowing what to do, crying out for help. And I got into the book of Matthew. And when I got into the book of Matthew in the New Testament, I saw that uh, these demons, they were running, they were running, um, they were running from Jesus. And I said, you know, I'm going to pray in the name of Jesus. Because I was praying, you know, in the name of the um, um, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and stuff like that. And even though I had great awareness of what's going on, I found out that God has selected only one of his names for deliverance. And that name is Yeshua or Jesus. And so that night, the room went pitch black. When I say pitch black, I heard stuff on the rooftop. I heard voices outside. And I know my landlord is not outside at 3 o'clock in the morning. And then I heard like, uh, um, um, like dirt kicking against the, the wall. It was almost like an infestation about to take place. And the room went pitch black. When I say total black, I've never been in a place where it's been that black before that I couldn't even see my hands. I jumped off of my bed and I said, I'm going to try this. And I said, Jesus, help me. And when I said, Jesus, help me, the demons, they backed up. Light came back into the room and I was just like, Oh my gosh, this really works. And that's how I knew that Jesus was God. And then God has been, and since that time that I, that I went to sleep and I woke up, there were two angels standing over me and they said, go back to sleep, we're cleaning you out. And I felt like an electric surge went right through my body. And then when I came off of my bed that morning, I felt like I was walking on air. I don't know how I can explain it. My feet were touching the ground, but I felt like I was walking on air. And that really began the process of me just knowing who God is. And then knowing God, I just heard him say that to return back to New York. And so I called my friend, my partner, who was over in, he was over in the United States at the time. He was a teacher. And so now was the summertime when we would normally switch. He would come over to the Virgin Islands and I would come back to the States. And I told him, I said, I, I met Jesus. And I read the book of Revelation. And do you know that? Hell is real? Do you know that we can die? And then he said, yeah. And I said to him, so how come you never told me? <laughs> I know he felt pretty bad about that. But I eventually gave up everything, gave up my business. I came back to the United States and things were kind of rough. Long story short, I became homeless on the streets of New York. And I started sleeping on sidewalks. I started sleeping in, in the parks, like Central Park and in New York City. And I ended up sleeping right on the sidewalks of, of the busy streets of New York City. Lost everything. Now, here's a guy. I, I was a correctional officer working for the prison. I went to the Virgin Islands, had a nice business that was flourishing. And I met Jesus, and everything just turned around. And there I am on the street, sleeping on the sidewalks, lost everything. And I felt so rejected by the world. I felt so rejected that I didn't have anyone and I tried to commit suicide. And that particular day when I was walking, I begged for enough money to go and commit suicide. There was a little girl that walked up to me out of nowhere. 
And as I was trying to walk around this little girl on the sidewalk, she kept matching my steps. And as she kept matching my steps, I just gave up. And I said, and God knew to send me a little girl because I love children so much. I guess if it was an older person, I probably wouldn't have paid much attention. But I have, you know, I had a group of sisters. So I have this thing for, I, I guess little girls can do more for me, I guess. I don't know. But as I was talking to her, I said, what is it, little girl? She said, I need money to go home and I need money to eat some food. And the money that I begged for to kill myself that day to commit suicide is the exact change that she asked for. And I just looked up in the sky and I said, God, what is this? I take out my money because I can't refuse a child. And I gave it to her. When she walked past me, she disappeared in the thin air. And that's when I heard God say to me, son, I have a promise on your life. I have a purpose for you. And then I began to say, God, well, show me your purpose, God. What is it that you have for me? And then God led me to go and live with my sister down in Florida. I lived in Florida, South Florida for a year. And then I eventually came back to New York. And I went back to work at the prison where I was working. And everybody thought that I failed. And I said, no, I know I've only been gone for a year. But in that year, I've met Jesus Christ. And I've given my life to him. And then God brought me to uh, Bible college, university, where I got my degree in seminary. And while I was in seminary, that's when I began to meet missionaries, professors that saw my fire. I began to tell my story. I led the school in a 40 days fast. I did it on water. <laughs> Crazy. When I was so much younger, <laughs> I probably can't do that now. <laughs> I will just drink water, but I won't be fasting like that no more. But as I began to talk, to some of these professors, it was almost like they took an interest in me. And I really didn't know too much about missions other than it's overseas somewhere, you know? But they took me under their wing and they mentored me and they told me different things. And it wasn't until when I came to New York City, um, the campus in New York City, that I met a professor named uh, Louis Carlo. And Dr. Louis Carlo, he began to speak to me about the mission field right in our backyard. And that's when I began to really understand my calling. And I had this thirst for justice and righteousness and for the poor and for dilapidated communities. And I, after I finished school, um, I got my degree, God sent me right back into the ghetto. And he said, this is your mission field. Your mission field is right here. I know we, we have mission fields anywhere God sends us, but in the context of where God had me, right in Flatbush, Brooklyn, in New York City was my mission field. And I said, God, what is the one thing that you really want me to capitalize on? Because, you know, as leaders, leaders are known for many different things. But there's one thing that they're known for more than anything else. And it's so fitting that this is Father's Day because I'm thinking, like, I don't have kids of my own, but I'm always reminded that I father many kids in the community. And I asked God, and I said, God, what is it that you really want me to do here? And God said, your primary calling for this community is to be a father to the fatherless. And I began to really just thank God for that opportunity to hear from him. And then God reminded me in the, in the book of Genesis, I think it was chapter 48 and 49, when Jacob is about to die, the Bible said that Israel strengthened himself, right? And then he began to give, he began to bless his sons. 
and he gave them identity. And God said, I want you to, to look around. All of these young men and these young women, they have, some of them, a lot of them don't have identity, you know? And I saw them selling drugs. And the, 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 the ghetto when I was in, it was called, it used to be called Vanderveer Estates. Now it's called Flatbush Gardens. And it was one of the worst, worst housing projects in all of New York City. And I mean, there were shootouts every day. And I mean, they were doing animal sacrifices. They were doing, you know, voodoo, black magic, all kinds of different things. Um, there were drug dealings. There, were, there was, there was um, abuse going on, sexual abuse, all kind of verbal abuse, physical abuse. And I mean, everything was happening in that community. And God led me to begin to start a church there. I started doing an outreach and we had about 40 kids or 40 young people that I gave their life to the Lord. I started a Bible study, and then I call it pizza and Bible study. A lot of young men would show up. And my Bible study grew from eight to about 70 to 80, and they were all young men. 95% of them were young men. And God was showing me that I want you to be a father. And I fathered them, whether it was also coaching basketball, going to their high school, to their junior high school, being an advocate for them. I would run summer camps, whatever it took for me to mentor these young men and some of the young women. And God put it on my heart to, to begin to, to do ministry in this community. And as I began to do the Bible study and I saw them, they were giving their lives to God. It was so amazing. We began to do prayer walks, me and my team through the community. And we just saw God's hand upon that community that, that got totally turned around by the glory of God. God is the one that did it. And I just thank God for the opportunity of being used. And so I've been pastoring that community now for about 16 years. And it's been an awesome time. I've been able to uh, minister to a lot of the gangs going to hardcore. Um, I broke up a lot of gang fights and they had knives, they had guns. Um, I, I broke up girls that were fighting with kitchen knives, ready to stab each other. Oh, you name it. God has allowed me to be a part of just the building of his glory within my community in Flatbush. And so I did that for years. And then God had me start an outreach ministry called Word for the Street. The name of the church it's called Calvary Cross's Church. And basically we do house churches. We started out as a regular church, renting spaces, storefronts, whatever. But then God just said, I want to transition you into doing house churches. And God gave me the Acts 2 model of house churches. You know, when the disciples, when they first, when they started, when the church started going together and you know, they were breaking bread in people's homes and things like that. And that's what I do. I do house churches right in the right in the apartment buildings of where I um, where I have my ministry, but then God began to speak to me about um, about doing these outreaches, and He wanted me to be a DJ, <laughs> you know, like a DJ that you see that throws parties. Well, God said, "I want you to throw me a party every week outside," and I said, "God, I've never done that." And the Holy Spirit began to speak to me and say, "I'll teach you." I heard the Lord said to me that He is the original rapper. That he is the original poet. He is the original, he is, he is the word of God. And then the Holy Spirit said, I am the original beat maker. I'm going to show you how to DJ. And I tell you, between the Lord himself and the Holy Spirit taught me how to DJ. And God started something new with me on the streets of New York City. Call it 
DJ worship. I never heard of it. Have you ever heard of a pastor that's a DJ? Well, that's exactly what God did. And when I began to do that, I saw not only the gangsters, I saw the homeless, I saw the people who were on church. They were so moved by what, by how God was using me. And I never, ever had a, there's times that I struggled to evangelize, one-on-one -on -one evangelism. And there's times that it was so intimidating for me to just walk with somebody I don't know and begin to evangelize them. But I allowed myself to be more overwhelmed by the fact that that person may not be saved or, or more than the fear and an intimidation that I felt upon myself. And God used that, used Flatbush Brooklyn to really give me my training ground for missions work for the rest of the world. And it was um, maybe a few years ago that God began to speak to me about going into um, Jamaica, uh, Kingston, Jamaica. West Kingston, Jamaica. West Kingston, Jamaica is not an easy place. And I didn't know, a lot of times, God would just remove me from my jobs and I just had to, by faith, just trust him for everything. And God always tells me that, just believe me for an impossible and watch me do the incredible. And I didn't know anybody in Kingston, Jamaica. I had one aunt that lived in Kingston, but she lived in a really good section. And God just said, I want you to go into this area called West Kingston. I didn't know a soul. I went to Jamaica on a one-way ticket. And I was able to stay with my cousins in another area of Jamaica. And I was telling them about the vision that God has given me. And they were just like, you're crazy. Because nobody goes in there, especially from America, goes in there and doesn't know anybody. And I was just like, well, my God is crazy too. <laughs> you know? And so... For months, I was, my first four months, I was in Jamaica for 2017 from about February all the way through, through May. And I was just learning how to go into downtown and walking around. And I basically just heard from God, just go walk around. And during that time, I was also doing my 40 days fast. And in those two 40 days fast, God had me read the word of God all 40 days twice. Um, just to, for me just to have the word. And he said, I will bring it all back to memory what you've seen in the word. And I did that for four months. And I met a lady there that was a prayer partner right in the marketplace. And I began to pray with her and come to find out she prays for ministers and pastors. And I was telling her about the vision and she thought I was crazy too. And I said, well, that's what I'm hearing from God. And then I came back to the United States and I did my ministry here. But then God sent me back to Jamaica in late 2017. And then once I went back to Jamaica, that is when God began to show me what he was talking about missions in Jamaica. And this same lady walked me right into an area called Tivoli Gardens. Tivoli Gardens in Kingston, Jamaica is not an easy place. They call it the king of the garrisons. And when I went into Tivoli Gardens, she walked me right into a, um, a business, a tire shop right across from the, from the projects, from the housing area, from the housing scheme. And I was able to connect with a person named Camille Cole, or AKA Sandy Brown. Now that family is kind of like the mafia family of Jamaica. Um, her, her brother was the one that brought the big, Kingpin, and he got extradited to America. 
And there I am now um, with this person and I'm telling her and her family about, about what God is telling me to do. I had no money. All I had was my faith and I had a one-way ticket. And I was trying to raise money, but money never came in. Most of the time, I just only had bus free to go and bus free to come back. And whatever my cousins fed me with, that's what I ate. And I really didn't know how things were going to work out. But I was fasting and I was praying and I was reading the word and I was believing God. And then they began to hear from God regarding me. Of course, they checked me out to make sure that I wasn't on the cover because they have a lot of people that come into the housing area and infiltrate to be good, but they're really on the cover. And they checked me out pretty good. And God said, I want you to begin to do prayers in the community. A few months later, when I was when I left for left and came when I was there, God began in January to begin uh, to tell me to do a 40 days fast with my prayer group called Battalion for Christ. And the last seven days, God said, I want you to do a Jericho walk in Tivoli Gardens in Kingston, Jamaica. And there were only two ladies that were willing to walk with me, and they weren't even saved. That day, they gave their life to Jesus. As we were there worshiping, I set up like a, uh, a speaker, a sound system right there on the street, and we began to preach the gospel and pray for the community. Right next door was a witch doctor where they had people coming six o'clock in the morning on Thursday morning, um, um, getting their blessings or whatever from the witch doctor. And God said, I want you to set up an outreach. I want you to set up a, a speaker with a microphone with your iPlay and play worship music and begin to pray over the community while they're doing that. And God said, I want this to be like, God said, I'm going to set the stage. This is going to be like Mount Carmel and Elijah moment. And I want you to call down fire from heaven. And when we began to do that, we began to see God move like never before. We started seeing like people that were over on that side, hearing the worship, hearing the declarations, began to walk over to this side where we were. And God began to release certain gifts in me. Then I began to speak a word of prophecy. I began to speak, thus says the Lord. And you can see a manifestation of demons that started to jump out of people. People start getting healed. And the ladies that were with me, they decided to go and do a, a Jericho walk with me. You know, the um, um, in the in the book of Joshua, when they, when they did the Jericho walk, it was for it was for seven days, right? And six days they walked around in silence, and the seventh day they walked around seven times. And that's what God wanted me to do. And God said, I want to take this community. And so the ladies, they gave their life to Jesus on the day of. See, and God doesn't need someone who has been in the ministry 30, 40, 50 years. God can use anybody. Now, these ladies. They basically gave their life to Jesus, and they said, okay, we want to walk with you. One was dropping the oil, another one was reading the scripture, and God had me declaring over the community. And we did that for seven days. And then on the seventh day, God had me, had us go around seven times. But that, that, that seventh day, one of the ladies said, Pastor, I hear there's a gunman that's coming to kill you today. And the enemy was trying to stop me and stop us from doing the last day of, of prayer walk. So when the gunmen showed up, they were like, Pastor, there he is. And so we asked him to come into the circle 
to pray. And the only spot that was available was for him to hold my hand and for him to hold somebody else's hand. Can you imagine that your that your assassin shows up and he's holding your hand, right? You talk about too close for comfort. He's holding my hand and I'm like, I don't know what he's thinking, but to kill me right now. And God said, pray for everyone, but save him for last. And when and God said, I want you to pray for him and command the fire that's on you to touch him, to let him know that you're real. And when I did that, I said, Lord God, Father, the fire that's on me, the truth of the fire, let it also touch everyone, including uh, this young man here. And when I said that, he began to cry, sobbing, like weeping. And then when he began to cry, he ran back into the projects, into the, into the ghetto, and told all of the other gunmen that this guy, this, this pastor from Flatbush, Brooklyn, leave him alone. He's a real deal. And would you believe that those other gunmen also gave their life to Jesus and said, when I go to that community now, they are my bodyguards. <laughs> I'm saying, like, God said, believe him for the impossible and watch him do the incredible. And as we were walking around seven times, people just thought that we were crazy because we were loud and we were shouting and we were just declaring and commanding and God gave us authority in that community. Well, the long story short is that once we were able to do the prayer walk, you remember how the nation of Israel went inside um, um, Jericho and they began to invade? God said, I want you now to go inside Tivoli Gardens and invade the hearts of people with the gospel. And when we begin to do that, it is almost like walls begin to fall down. You remember how thick the, the walls of Jericho were, that even two chariots on each side can go back and forth? Well, the enemy had put up a wall around this community that God showed me. And these walls were layered. Um, there was a wall of hate. There was a wall of witchcraft. There was a wall of jealousy. There was a wall of envy. And God said, every single day you come and read a psalm and drop the oil and declare one of those walls to come down. Just to give an example, like one day, the, the last day, we had to take down the wall of witchcraft. And as we were walking around, God said, go for Psalms 23. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And we, we said that all the way around and that wall fell down. And when we walked in, we began to speak to the people, the wall of hopelessness, you know, people began to feel hopeful again. The wall of destruction, where there was so much gunfire and people dying, there was a ceasefire in that community and revival broke out. And I'm talking about hundreds of people gave their life to Jesus. It was truly amazing. The first time in that community. And it, all it took was obedience. I didn't have a church down in Jamaica. I didn't know anybody but my prayer group praying with us. Like my sister, uh, Ruth, was on the phone praying with us, believe in God. I didn't know any of that. I didn't even have money but a one-way ticket and a promise from Jesus. And I went into that community not knowing a soul. And gunmen came to kill me. But God showed me that he is greater than any, any tools upon this earth and it was amazing that I was able to partner with other churches when they began to see and God released certain gifts to me and I saw healings I began to speak to people's lives and saw chains and people began to really worship God and really accept Jesus
It was an amazing time. And then I came back to the United States and God said, now I want you to go to Kenya. And I was like, okay. I spent my last thousand US dollars to buy a round trip ticket to go to Kenya. This is in 2018 of June. I came back to New York. I'm trying to do my outreaches. I'm trying to do my house churches and I really didn't have any money. And I'm wondering how am I gonna make it? I don't even have enough money to survive in Kenya. All I have is a non-refundable plane ticket. And would you believe two weeks before I was to leave for Kenya, which I had no money, they were, God put it on the heart of a church. A friend of mine had joined a church in Texas and he spoke to the pastor and they flew me out from New York to Texas to go to this church. I was just going to go hang out and try to believe God because this church moved in miracles and signs and wonders. And when I got to the church, the pastor said, hey, just tell me your story. And when I began to tell him my story, his heart was moved. And he said, now, can you tell that to the congregation? I think the congregation was like 800 or 1,000 people. And I went and on that stage, and I began to give my testimony about Flatbush, New York City in Brooklyn, and Tivoli Gardens, Kingston, Jamaica, how God moved. And the fire of God moved upon that place where they sponsored me to come to Kenya. Can you imagine? Two weeks before, I had no money. I might have had like $30 in my bank account. Not knowing where my next meal was going to come from. Not knowing how I was going to live in Kenya or be in Kenya. And God put it on his church's heart to bless me with enough money to be. And I was in Kenya for a whole month. And, I, and then I linked up with pastors that I knew um, 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 from, from Kenya. And they picked me up. Uh, Pepper Church, I believe. Um, is a bishop, um, Shem Ontinga, um, from Nairobi. And when I got there, I was able to get uh, a room or an apartment to rent for the month. And that's when God began to speak to me about what happened in Flatbush, what happened in Kingston, Jamaica. I want you to do the same thing here, also in Nairobi, Kenya. And they took me to a place called Pipeline in Jenga in, uh, in Nairobi. And I began to pray for people. I began to witness to people. And God even had me preaching right out in the street with hundreds of people in, in the housing area. I got to share one little story about when I, when I was there. I was, we were, me and the pastor, and there was a two other uh, missionaries from China that was there on that particular day. And I heard God said, I want you to release the word in the atmosphere. And I began to do that, praying for people. But there were a whole bunch of children on one side. And I walked up and I said, you know, um, to, the, to, the, to, the, to the older gentleman that was there, he seemed like he was the one in charge of the youth. I said, hey, my name is Pastor Desmond. I'm from New York City, Kingston, Jamaica as well. And I just wanted, can I just pray with you today? And I just felt a strong opposition. And he was like, no, you cannot pray for me. Almost like demonic. And then I, I said, okay, I wanted to pray for the kids, really, but he was stopping me. And God said, if he won't let you pray, go to the other side of the street. And literally, I said, let's go to the other side of the street. When I went to the other side of the street, all the children came from one side of the street to the other side of the street, and everybody else came down. 
And God had me bless the children and the people on the other side of the street. And that's just to show you that God's plan is God's plan. If it don't work on one side, God will put it on the other side, but his will will be done. Amen? It was just a fascinating time. And, and, and I didn't really know what to expect. I went to Kenya not knowing how I was going to live. And God blessed me to be there. And then God told me to go to Uganda. I officially have no friends in Uganda. Didn't know anything about Uganda, but he wanted me to go to the capital city, Kampala. And I said, God, I don't even have a plane ticket. And when I was in New York, God said, do not buy a plane ticket for Uganda. When you get there, someone will offer you or someone will take care of it. And sure enough, in the company of the fellowship of the pastors, when I was there, I told them, I said, hey, do you know anybody in Uganda? Because God is sending me there. And I don't know anybody. And they said, well, how are you getting there? I said, well, I don't have a plane ticket. And they said, well, we'll take care of that. And they bought me a plane ticket. And so I, I flew into Uganda for about eight days. I've, I, um, a friend of mine, she helped me get a hotel. And so really nice hotel. And I went there and I stayed there for about, you know, for eight days. And God said, I want you to go to the hotel and just pray and wait for me there. I came out of the, the airport in Entebbe, caught an Uber. 45 minutes later, I'm in the capital city of Kampala. When I got there, I went to the hotel room and I prayed for two days. And I just said, God, here I am. I don't know anybody here. I don't know if you're just going to have me in this hotel room. I don't know where to go. And two days of praying, somebody that I knew from New York City that was from Uganda, she reached out to her pastor and let her know that I was there. He contacted me, and that's how I was able to go and evangelize and pray for the people of Kampala and um, in Uganda in a small town called Mbuya. Went downtown, began to pray for people. Went downtown, began to, God began to use me. And then I ended up praying for his, um, preaching at his church as well. All of this was because I decided to trust God. All of this was because I believed God for the impossible and watched him do the incredible. And I saw people that gave their life to Jesus in Kenya. So many people. I saw people in Uganda giving their life to Jesus. So many people. And when I, when I came back to Kenya, before I left to come back to New York, you know, it was such a great experience. Now, all the people that were giving their life to Jesus, right, I had the opportunity to even have a relationship with them. And then as I came back from Africa, back to America, I returned back to the church out in Texas and began to speak to them again. And I began to tell them what went on. You can be so powerful for God, but it's not by might and it's not by strength, but it's by the spirit of the Lord. And if we will just begin to believe God for the impossible, we can see him do the incredible I didn't know that I was going to be a preacher or a pastor. I didn't know that God was going to bring me from place to place. For six years now, for over six years, God removed me from my job. I haven't worked. 
God said, just believe me, and I will never let you down. And there were times that I didn't know how I was going to pay my bills. There were times that I didn't know how I was going to be a witness. But God showed up in such countless ways. It's not easy because the warfare is real. And there comes a point that you have to know that Jesus is real. You cannot go by what other people's testimonies. You cannot go by what other people, I mean, it's great to have friends that have testimonies and even watch people's testimonies. But there comes a time where you have to know that the God I serve is real. And I had to do that from the very beginning when I was homeless on the streets and God raised me from the streets and now he's given me a street ministry and house churches. We never know what God is going to do. We serve an unlimited God. You know, my, one of my favorite scriptures, right? One of my favorite scriptures that, that I, in Philippians, was, is that, um, um, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, right? And the first one is saying that I may know him and the power. But the other two parts about it is talking about suffering and being conformed to his death, right? God was told me, it's like, you can have my power, but you got to have the persecution. It's like many want to have the privilege, but they don't want the pressure, right? It's like, if you want God, if you really want God, you're going to have to work out your salvation with trembling and fear. Because it's not an easy walk, but it is the most rewarding walk that you will ever have to do in your life. I mean, we serve the Son of God. We serve the one who made everything. And you mean to tell me that I'm not going to give my all when he stretched out on the cross to save me, who was demon-possessed, who was about to commit suicide, who was homeless on the streets of New York City, that, that when he stretched out his hand, he had me in mind and he had you in mind. It is the same God that one day that we have to go before in all of his glory as, the, as to us for to give an account on that day of judgment in, in heaven. And I could not look at God in all his glory and say that I couldn't do what he asked me to do. You know what I do? God basically gave me a slogan. And I believe that everyone should have a slogan for their life, whether it's a scripture or it's a bunch of words that God gave you. God knew what I was going to be like. Of course, he created me. He gave me a scripture. And it came, I think it's the book of Luke. Remember those 10 lepers, right? That they were crying out to Jesus. They were crying out to Jesus to be healed. And as they began to walk, but Jesus didn't heal them right there. He said, go show yourself to the priest. And as they began to walk, that's when the healing took place. And God said, that's the way your life is going to be. God told me that your life, the miracles of the things in your life, is not going to happen by you just remaining where you are. But it's going to be where I send you. And trust me, there are people that are waiting on you for their deliverance. There are people waiting on me to do what God says so they can be delivered. And I just had to take all of that away from myself and focus on what God is going to do for others, right? God gave me a slogan. 
It's a faith slogan. And he said, I want, son, I want you to repeat this after me. And I began to repeat after God. And he said, I don't know, but I know he knows. And that's all I need to know. And God said, repeat that every time that you think about giving up. Because it's never about you, but it's always about me. And God said, to, and I always say to God, God, I don't know, but I know you know. And that's all I need to know. I'm telling you that whatever God is telling you to do or go, just do it. Nike has a slogan, just do it. I know people that have taken, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me as their slogan. Whatever works for you. But you do not want to take advantage of things that God has for you. It's an adventure. Christianity is never supposed to be boring. It is supposed to be the most exciting thing upon this earth. And we have God himself that guarantees our salvation. So what else do we, we have nothing else to lose. But we have to get over our fear. We just got to get over our doubts. We got to get over all those things. I didn't know how things are going to work out for me, ever. I don't even know how things are going to work out next week. But God said, just trust and obey. Anytime you see in the word of God, certain words that are together, that means that they are together. Like you will see wisdom, knowledge, and understanding in the book of Proverbs. They work together. Trust and obey works together. Um, power and love and sound mind works together. For the, what the Bible says, what? That God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. You, it is impossible for you to love if you can't walk in power. It's impossible for you to walk in power if you have no love. Right? And God has God put that in my spirit from the very beginning and said, if you want to walk in power, you got to love. You know, Matthew chapter 5 talks about love. It says that bless those who curse you, you know, do well to those that, that despitefully use you and things like that, right? So that you will be like me. It's always about love. I want to love someone more than I love, than, than, I, than I'm bothered by the fear or doubt that comes upon me. I want to love more of people and, and their deliverance more than my own self. You know, it's like, if I hadn't trust God, maybe God wouldn't have used me in Flatbush the way he did. If I had not trusted God, I don't know if Tivoli Gardens or Kingston, Jamaica would have been evangelized. If I had not trusted God, I don't know if Nairobi, Kenya in Pipeline and Django in Old Dunholm would have been possible. If I had not trusted God, I wouldn't have known of Kampala and Entebbe in, in, in Uganda. And God has also had brought me to Sudan, uh, to Khartoum, the um, Northern Sudan. If I had not trusted God, I would have never have experienced what I've experienced because God told me a long time ago, he said that just continue to believe in him and, and believe him for the impossible and watch him do the incredible. And so I just submit to you today that we can have great impact upon this earth, upon this world. 
everyone has the uniqueness of their calling. Everyone has something within them that is so interesting enough that someone else is going to listen. Your testimony. Share your testimony. Tell your story. Make it personal. And I'm telling you, that's what I did. And so many people wanted to have what I have. But when you share your story, share how exciting life is in Jesus. People who don't want to be a part of something that sounds uh, boring or irrelevant or whatever. When you do it, do it with a smile. Do it with such a joy. Do it with such an excitement and adventure that they will say, I want a piece of that. I want to live a life that I'm not walking in fear. I want to live a life that I'm not walking in a feeling illegitimate, right? I want to, lie. I want to walk in a life that I will, I will walk in the joy of the Spirit of God, you know? And I just want to just thank everyone for just allowing me for having this time to share these stories and to let you know that the God that is greater than you is greater than the enemy that's in the world. And here I am, um, just a regular guy, just wanted to know Jesus. My, my, my thing, and as I close, my thing, I never wanted to be a preacher. I never wanted to be, even be an evangelist. I never wanted to, I never thought about going into seminary. But when I first met God, and God delivered me from the streets and from suicide and all these things. God said, look up, in the, look up in the sky and ask me for what you want. And I said, God, I'll, get a, I'll take a star. And God said, you're not asking big enough. And I looked up in the sky again. I said, what's bigger than a star? A solar system. I said, God, okay, I'll take a solar system. Thank you. And he said, that's not big enough. What? And then I said, galaxy is bigger than a solar system. So... I'll take a galaxy, Lord. And the Lord said, you're still not asking. And God said, you need to ask me for the universe and I will throw you a few galaxies. Ooh. God wants to throw you or give you galaxies. galaxies. Ask for the universe and beyond. I am doing mission work and God has put on the hearts of people to bless me to go. As God will say what he, God will provide the finances and he will, he, will, he will provide the courage. All you got to do is say yes. That's it. The hardest thing that enemy, the hardest thing you could say is say yes. Once you say yes, oh, all of heaven is with you. Don't ever forget that, um, how much God loves you. And finally, when I was saying that I, I didn't think I would be a minister, whatever, the only thing I wanted more than anything else was to know God. That's it. I just want to be one of God's greatest. When he said that he was going to give me galaxies, I said, God, I want to be one of your greatest. Whatever that means to you, God, because of what you did for me on the cross and what you did for me from the streets, what you did for me for, for, um, for, for protecting me and casting out demons out of me. I said, God, I want to be great for you. Whatever that means to you, God, I just want you. My goal is God. My goal was never ministry. My goal was God. And God said, if you want me, I got some things I want you to do for me. And that's why he made me a pastor. That's why he carried me. And it doesn't really matter what God says. I just say, God, I don't know how to do that, but 
teach me how to do it that I can learn because I want to do it because I want to be closer to you. Believe God for the impossible and watch him do the incredible. Thank you and God bless.